listening to the weekly podcast presented by the Lighthouse Midlothian. For more information, please visit us at www.dfwlighthouse.org. Thank you and God bless. That was not unusual to people of those days. In fact, Jerusalem is under the control of the Romans at this time. And they constantly use triumphal entries. I've seen the evidence of it myself. I've been to Rome and saw the great arch of Constantine that they built when Constantine conquered his brother-in-law and became the emperor of Rome. All of his armies marched through in great procession under the arch of Constantine as people clapped and applauded the victorious leader that came through on that day. Jesus is doing his triumphal entry in the context of somebody else ruling their land other than them. And I just want to make one observation about that. We continue to serve the purpose of God regardless of who's in charge. Because ultimately we know that God is in control of everything even when the circumstances don't look like we think they ought to look. And so the people on this day are absolutely elated because they see Jesus as the coming Messiah. The Feast of Booth is going on. It's the feast that celebrates the coming of the Messiah. So they're poised and supercharged looking for someone that's going to come and set them free from all this mess that's going on in Jerusalem. And they're elated. And it's kind of that attitude, I think, that as they're coming in celebrating like, here, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's like they're kind of rubbing it in the Roman's face a little bit. It reminded me of my little niece when she was a cheerleader for the Pee Wee football team. They had this cheer that went like this. Ooh, she's bad. Ooh, baby, don't make her mad. Ooh, she thinks she's sweet. Sweetest chick you'll ever meet. And I thought, I don't know what that has to do with football, but it does have some attitude. Amen. And so that day they're having a little attitude out there in their praise and worship because they're kind of rubbing it in the face of the Romans that the one that's going to take care of you is here. And he's here to save us right now. And so they're very elated. And uh, we could say the symbolism of uh, them coming in on a donkey, of Jesus coming in on a donkey, didn't make sense to the Roman mind because they're going to come in on a fiery war steed, on a war horse. In fact, when Crassius fought against Spartacus and an uprising of slaves against Rome, he defeated them soundly, and on the road into Rome, he lined the road with 6,000 crucified slaves to make his political statement, I am in control, you are to fear me, you are to back off, I am the conqueror in that moment. And now Jesus coming off the hill on a donkey with palm branches riding, and it's a comedy show to the Romans. They're not impressed by it whatsoever. They're getting a good laugh at it. But we know, we know something more is at work than what they see with their eyes. Can I stop for a minute and say that? Something more is at work 
than what we see with our eyes. The purposes of God are always moving forward. Nothing that happens in this world, no matter how tragic, no matter how harmful, ever thwarts the purpose of God. He marches on fulfilling his heart's desire at all times. Now it's hard, isn't it? Because sometimes we'll look at what's happening instead of looking for God in situations. And sometimes, based on what's happening, it's hard to see the Lord. But he's always up to something. He's all, his plan and purpose is always moving. And by the way, God serves multiple purposes at the same time. When he's doing something for me, he's doing something for all of you. When he's doing something for my church, he's doing something for everybody else's church. When he's doing something for this city, he's doing it for Cedar Hill and Palmer and the one, and, all, and he's doing something for one state, he's doing another state, and for one nation and all nations. And he's working the world, and somehow God, in his wisdom and power and providence and understanding, is working multiple purposes, and it's incredible how it all fits together. And sometimes when I'm calling for a change, he's doing things over here because he's got to work it to get to me ultimately and what he has to do so God's at work and he's serving multiple purposes at the same time and Palm Sunday as Jesus comes off of that hill is a transitional moment because he's taking his ministry public for the first time and they have no idea that he's going to God smack the house of the Lord that day they thought he was coming to crush Rome, but he was coming to deal with his house. Everybody okay so far? Give me a little wave out there. Amen, amen. So I'm going to pick up on the story in Matthew 21 where Jesus is riding the donkey down the hill. He's headed for the Mount of Olives, and as he comes up to that descent, there are people gathering before him and behind him. He's going off down into the Kidron Valley and up to the Golden Gate where he'll make his entry. And people are laying their clothing down in front of him and palm branches on the ground. And they're saying those words that we have heard, Hosanna to the Son of David, in verse 9. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So first of all, I think we've got to concentrate on in the highest part. This is word Hosanna is specifically a word of praise that is reserved for the Messiah only. So when they say Hosanna in the highest, this is not everyday stuff. This is not moderation. This is taking it to a whole nother level. This is greater than normal. This is the highest. It's specifically focused on the Messiah, the one they have longed for and desired in their heart to come. They believe he's coming off of that hill right now, and the deep longings of their heart are being satisfied, and they take their praise of God up to a higher place, the highest place they've ever taken it before. What this is is actually a fulfillment of a messianic psalm in Psalm 118. And the theologians call it a messianic psalm and it's a very prophetic psalm of what's happening on Palm Sunday. It reads this way, Save now, I pray, O Lord. 
Sin now prosperity. There's a hint. Things aren't going good. They're crying for prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Now we get a little click why the Messiah is moving towards the house of the Lord. Because there is blessing that's supposed to be coming from the house of the Lord. But it's supposed to be coming the way that he wants it, not the way that we want it. And it's very key because there's also, you'll notice, a double emphasis on prayer. The psalm reads this way. Save now, I pray, O Lord, O Lord, I pray. Double emphasis right there. Pray. And then when you think you prayed, take it to the highest and pray, notch it up and pray some more. The deep importance of prayer in relation to the Messiah cannot be ignored in this situation. It's an incredible moment. And so the psalm began up in the context. I want you to see because we're going to take that and then we're going to compare it to what's happening in Jerusalem. Now we're going to compare it to us up here today. Because as they're praying in that moment in the psalm, it began up there saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord. Well, that means something's going on that they need mercy. And then it said, in my distress I called. So something distressful is taking place in that situation. He said, the nations have surrounded me. That means other powers have surrounded that have governmental authority around them. And it said, as he's writing about this, being surrounded, they feel like they're boxed and closed in a little bit. And so now they are desperate for God to save them from this distressful, financially depleting situation. And they're passionate. Come and save us now, Lord. They lived under the Roman tax system. And it was called the patronage system of taxation. And basically what it meant since Caesar had conquered Israel, he demanded tribute. You pay me, I don't hurt you. You pay me and I protect you. So he sent it over to Herod and said, Herod, collect the taxes for me. So in order for Herod to collect the taxes, he took the tribute of Caesar and added on to it some for himself. And then he put it out to the elite, which he called the chief tax collectors, and he gave them the responsibility of collecting it, and he told them he sold it to the highest bidder. So then it went from... Caesar's tribute to what Herod added, and now the elite added some to it so they could get some. And then they dispensed it to the local tax collectors that all of Israel hated, and now we're understanding why, because the local tax collectors added some on top of it. So by the time taxes got to the people, it had been added to a minimum of four different times and became an oppressive load that none of the people could handle, and they're financially distressed. And the whole situation is there, is very similar. It is politically supercharged, there are religious leaders standing forward, there are governmental leaders standing forward, there is oppression from financials and lacks of finances, and that is what Jesus is going to walk down into off of the mountain that day. So it's an incredible situation. And what's going on? And to this they are saying, save us now. 
I'm praying to you and I'm praying even more. Save us now. Their basic cry is, Messiah, fix everything. Fix this mess. Which may have been one of the most needed prayers and one of the most dangerous prayers that any of us could pray. Fix everything. Okay. Because when God fixes everything, you know what he does. Oh, he fixes everything. And that starts to go to a different place entirely. So the word Hosanna, as I stated, was connected to the Messiah. And it literally means save now. That's what the word Hosanna means. It means save now. And that's the heart cry of the Israeli people because this enemy has invaded their land, has imposed heavy taxation on them, has created Roman law so they no longer live by Jewish law. There are zealots arising that are fighting against the system. They're willing to shed blood over it. It's just got into an incredible type situation. And contextually, frankly, it's a whole lot like what we're experiencing today. Government leaders and parties standing against one another, politically supercharged, national and financial upheaval, fear-driven, control factors, laws we don't like, zealots, restrictions, patriots, everyday people. It's all mixed up into a big-type situation. We have a real fear factor. When coronavirus came in, fear gripped the hearts of people, panicked of all things. Of all the things on God's green earth to disappear from the store, it was toilet tissue. <laughs> it's just something not clicking exactly right for me with that. I don't know. And we get imposed with situations that we feel are unjust and they're not our constitutional, our constitutional rights are this, but it could infringe on that one and this one and it just turns into this confusing mess overall. So our cry is similar, isn't it? Save us now, God. Could you just fix everything? Hush is the word for salvation. And na means now. When we say save now, he meant could you open this thing up? Could you free us? Could you make us safe and preserve us and bring us into victory all at the same time? God, could you just do this for us? Because the idea is you're the blessed one, Lord. You're the Messiah. The benediction is upon you. The end and the beginning rest with you. It's a yes in your word and you have the final say on everything. So we beseech you to come. Give us the victory over this enemy that has come. Rescue us, free us, open wide the possibilities again. And we all say it in all kinds of different ways. So we say all that. It's part of the messianic psalm. It's part of the prophetic fulfillment. And it just relates so much to some of the similar juggling that we're constantly doing right now. But we just forget that little part right at the end of the messianic psalm that says, Blessing comes from the house of the Lord. That's where it's got to come from. Blessing comes from the house of the Lord. We have blessed you, 
from the house of the Lord. And that's the part about the triumphal entry we tend to miss. We talk about Hosanna, and I've preached on this, about praise and worship for the church through the triumphal entry a gazillion times. I've talked about the coming of the Messiah and Jesus coming back again from the triumphal entry that one day he's going to part those skies and come back, and we preach those things. We preach all those components, but we don't preach that that deep-seated purpose of why Jesus was really coming that day was for blessing to proceed from the house of God for it to get restructured and reordered in its prayer calling so that the blessing can flow into the earth again. And that's what he was there for. Something that was so important that he's focused on the blessing comes. And so now here he comes. He's coming off the hill, and he's coming. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's not coming to represent himself. He's coming in the name of the Lord. Jesus the Messiah is the Father's champion coming to champion the cause of giving delight to his Father that the Father's house will be what the Father wants. In that moment, he's coming in the name of the Lord. He's the ambassador. He's come to launch a war, but not the typical type of war. It's a different kind of war. Have you learned this? I have, and I'm sure that you have, that over the years when we ask God to fix things, he doesn't always start in the place that we think he's supposed to start. Yeah. I'm like, Lord... I want you to help my wife. And he said, all right, why don't you change this? That would help her. I think that's like the wrong starting place, Lord. And it's one of those kind of things that we ask for changes, but we don't see the whole network of change that has to happen to get us where, we're, where he wants us to go. Because I might not choose where he wants me to go. I might choose something to be more selfishly consumed for myself. And sometimes what I ask for involves more people and circumstances than I can see with my own eyes. And I am surprised sometimes that when I ask God to change things, he starts with me. And it's that old biblical principle. You want to take the moat from somebody else's eye first, get the beam out of your eye. First, us, then others is the way it is. And so when we say God fix everything, what we really mean is I want you to fix things the way that suit me and the way that I like it and the way that makes me comfortable. And we seldom realize that he might start with us. And this is one of those days people have been crying out, from the bottom of their heart with great sincerity that the Messiah would come and fix everything because they're oppressed by the Romans. Their land is being run by a foreign government. They're having to live under their laws and they want it to be fixed. They're financially oppressed and distressed. And it's one of those situations and it's this crazy thing that happens. We want external changes. But sometimes... He does internal changes before the external ones can occur. 
And he knows that Jerusalem needs to be set free. So in his mind, the starting part place is his own house. He starts with them. He doesn't start. And so he enters the temple. Now we're going to bring back that thought. Blessing coming out of the house of the Lord. And he does not talk to a Roman government leader. He does not talk to a soldier. He does not talk to anybody. He comes off that hill and walks straight into the temple. On that day of his triumphal entry. And he God smacks the place. And I'm thinking in the words, and I'm probably dating myself now, but there was an old cartoon called Quick Draw McGraw. And he would always have a place in that cartoon where he'd say, Hold on there, Baba Louie. And when he smacked the house of God, I think they thought, Hold on there, God. You're supposed to be dealing with those Romans. Why is this happening to us? You're starting in the wrong place, aren't you, Lord? You're not starting where I think. And so before outward change can come around us, God's people have to have their heart locked in with God first. 1 Peter 4.17 says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel? In other words, he's saying, if the church isn't right, and if the church isn't in alignment with what the Father desires, people that don't know him don't stand a chance. So he says, I've got to get the church back to what I want it to be. You see, this is how I think about things because we as Christians, we've said it, I've said it, you've probably said it. God's going to judge the world. And I go, amen, but he's going to start at his house. Judgment for everything always starts at the house of the Lord. He starts with us. And Jesus knew something that day and that the principle was the same. That when I pray for God to change things, he starts changing me first. Because I can't be an agent to help somebody else if I'm not personally changed myself. I can tell them about it, but it doesn't have the substance of a life lived behind it. And so something has to happen. And so God walks in. Jesus, I mean, you you gotta you gotta wrestle with this because I don't know what your picture of Jesus is. You know, it's always this guy that's softly and tenderly, but he wrecks that place. He starts, I mean, what if I just started turning stuff over and kicking at people in here? I'm going like, that's not the Jesus I know, but that's the Jesus in the Bible. In that situation. In that context, for that circumstance, that's a Jesus of the Bible. Maybe not for every situation, but for that situation it was. And he flipped the tables and he said these words. You have made my house a den of thieves. And I want my house to be a house of prayer. And there it is. That's what he wanted. And then I got to thinking about our situation. All of a sudden... We can't go to work. We can't send the kids to school. 
all the excuses we say, I can't because the kids got taken away. I can't because of church activities got taken away. I can't because I don't have, I, and we got reduced down to this little place. And the Lord says, looks like a prayer closet to me. Looks like we're closed in. Looks like you really don't have a lot to do but talk to me right now. Looks like this thing got narrowed down. It got quarantined. It got made small. You can't go out into public. You can't do this or that. Now, I didn't say God sent the, the virus to cause it, but God uses everything, and he certainly can use it to narrow the scope of life down because he knows that the scripture tells us that when we pray, we are to go into our prayer closet and pray to the Lord in secret, and he will reward us openly. And so I know that there, all of a sudden I had more time to talk to God about things, and then I thought, wait a minute, double emphasis on prayer. I want a house of prayer. And then I thought about pastoring my church for all the years, and I thought, house of the word, house of worship, house of kids programs, house of prayer, not so much. Do we pray? Yeah. But a double emphasis of prayer? Not so much. And we've all preached it, right? People come to eat in meetings more than they do to prayer meetings. We've said all those kind of things. And I think somehow what he wanted his house to be as a house of prayer has escaped us. And maybe just one of the big purposes is for us to get life back down, narrowed into a simple, simple place. That prayer and communication with God and a relationship and intimacy with God is where it all goes in the end. And I'm wondering how we bring it back in to what God wants it to be. What if we've been sent to our room to pray? And I wonder if we know what we really ask for when we do pray. God, send a revival. Okay, but I got to fix you first. God, do this. All right. But I got to make sure you're where you're supposed to be with me. I mean, isn't that the heart of the Father? He just wants to make sure that we're walking in his purpose. God, change America. Okay, let me get my church in shape. Uh, we have our starting place. God has his starting place. And then I thought about a friend of mine named Sam Rockwell. He said, the price of freedom is anxiety. <laughs> in other words, when we really start getting free of stuff, we have to really start letting go of it, and that makes people get real anxious. But I'm wondering... If God's house is a house of prayer, that means if I talk to him, he'll talk back to me. And I'm wondering what he might be saying to you today about what maybe is in his way, about what's being held on to, 
that he's narrowed us down and took a lot of our excuses so we could take a closer look. And maybe we just need to let him finish his process in us so that like we sang, I'm his, I'm wholly his. I completely belong to the Lord. We cry for change. I've noticed something. That sometimes before something fresh and new can be rebuilt, the old has to be wrecked. I want to build a house over there, so they bring a bulldozer in and they wreck that thing. They level it so it can get a good foundation under it. Now, I'm not one of those that is saying, I think we've done everything wrong in the church. I'm not doing that. I think... uh, Man, the, the worship this morning was sweet. And if you watch me during worship, most of the time I'm writing because the Holy Spirit just starts talking to me in that atmosphere. And I'm writing down what God is saying. Because if I say what He says, I sound better than what I am. So, so God gets the glory. And I think He's talking. He told Jeremiah, I've set you this day over nations and over kingdoms. Why? Why would you do that, Lord? To root things out, is what he said. He said, to pull some things down, to destroy some things and throw some things down so we can do the last two, to build and plant. In other words, we can't really build and we can't really plant things for growth for the future until first all the stuff gets out of the way that would choke out that possibility. Pastor, I believe I'm speaking prophetically to you in this church right now. God didn't tear your church up. I don't think God sent the virus. But I think God orchestrated some things and that what He can do out of these difficulties is he can posture you as a people with a brand new foundation and a brand new start and a brand new opportunity for building and planting. Because that's just the way God is. For anything that gets torn up, he's going to replace it. He's going to put something fresh and something new and vibrant. I want to read one more scripture and I'm done. It's out of 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 17. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field and God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But this is part, our part. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. We don't want to build our stuff on it. We want to build God's stuff on it. For no other foundation can be laid than that which is laid, Jesus Christ. Everything has to be about Jesus. It has to be Jesus has to be seen. I'm wrestling with this myself. I'm, I'm thinking even as I'm talking. I could be up here talking and you could just see me and not Jesus. And I just want that corrected. I I, I don't know how I correct it. I know he has to correct it in me. I know he may need to break that. But I would really rather people hear what Jesus has to say. 
You know, the Bible says in Romans that the gospel is not preached with the enticing words of man's wisdom. But in demonstration of power, I don't want to just say, that guy right there, he's a real smart guy. He put the package together. I'd really rather know that Jesus talked to somebody. I'd really rather that. And then it goes on to say, now if one builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. So it's telling us we can either build with precious stones or we can build with wood, hay, and stubble. For each one's work will become clear and the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. And if anyone's work which he has built endures, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's uh, yet it so as by fire. But if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? This is the work, not that. He's building his people into the image of Jesus. And the Spirit of God dwells in you. Don't defile the temple of God. For the temple is holy, which you are. And after Jesus wrecked the house and cleaned it and reoriented it with a double emphasis of prayer, restructuring it in that moment. In verse 14 it said, Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. They're never going to come to me. They're never going to come to you. But they will come to Jesus. They will come to Jesus. So if you don't mind, I want to close with a couple of quotes. One by Albert Einstein. He said these words, The problems of this world cannot be solved with the same thinking that created them to begin with. Someone said, I can't wait till things go back to normal. I said, I hope not. Normal didn't work. We need something a little different. And then Abraham Lincoln, as he was facing a nation divided over slavery, he said, the dogmas of the quiet past are inadequate for the stormy present. The occasion is piled high with difficulty. As our case is new, we must think new and act new. Hosanna, save now, save now, fix everything now, Lord. Let the church be the church that you wanted. It don't have to be like I wanted it at all. It just has to be what you want. So I want to take a moment and let's pray together. We were placed on pause for a moment, weren't we? 
but now we're about to emerge and I want to see us emerge building and planting and doing what the Lord has in mind for us so would you just where you're sitting close in with the Lord and pray to him for a moment and just notch it up more than you normally do and ask him to talk to you Lord would you talk to us right now it's your house you can say whatever you want to you can have whatever you want to Lord I'm not sure if I'm in relationship with a, another church that is as poised as this one is right now to think new to act new to move into a fresh direction that carries the depth of personal fulfillment from God I'm praying that Jesus will be seen, that Jesus will be heard, and that you will walk in the midst of your people. Would you just do this, turn with the person you're sitting beside, and ask them right quick what you could pray for them about, and then just pray one for another just a second. And Pastor Dan is going to come up and lead you as a church through a time of prayer. Lord, in the name of Jesus, have your way among us. Amen.